0: If you've been investing in the Thrift Savings Plan for its entire 35 years, you've likely got a pretty good nest egg. Consistency and patience, that's part of what we've learned from the TSP over the decades. For more, we turn to Certified Financial Planner Art Stein. And is it possible 35 years of the TSP?
1: Yeah, and it's great to have that long-term record because we can really learn a lot from it. Investing is really a long-term proposition people should look at it that way and what we see when we look at the three tsp funds that have 35-year records so that's the g fund which is short-term bonds the f fund which is longer term u.s bonds government and corporate and then the c fund which is a s p 500 index fund it invests in the stocks of large u.s companies 500 of the largest What we see is that the C fund more than doubled the return of the bond funds. And, you know, that's hugely significant. Now, the C fund was, of course, much more volatile, had more years where there were negative returns for the calendar years. Of course, the G fund really doesn't have volatility and the F fund is volatile, but by a fraction of what you see in the C fund.
0: In many ways, the G fund is just a little bit better than a mattress,
1: well, it's a lot better than a mattress because one, it has a rate of return and the money in your mattress does not. So the average annual return for the G fund over 35 years was 4.6% a year. The F fund was 5.5%, but the C fund was 11.9%, almost 12% a year, which is you know, a great rate of return. Now, 2022 was extremely unusual in a couple of different ways. One, it was the first time both the F fund, which is the bond market, and the C fund, which is representing the stock market, both declined in the same calendar year. And the declines were pretty major in 2022. Even the bond fund was down 12.8% and the stock funds were down even more. But there was a the first time they were both down in the same calendar year.
0: So is it fair to say that if the C fund was down, whatever, 13, 14 percent? 18. 18. That still would not have wiped out even two of the years of the 35 or of the
1: prior several? No, because, you know, good years for the TSP are like 2020 and 2021. The C fund was up in 2020 and 28% in 2021. Those were great years. And actually, 2019, was up 31%. So huge increases. And yeah, it was down 18%. But if you held on and you had started, you know, say even in just in 2019, you still came out way ahead.
0: In other words, on the long term, they go up significantly, but it's more of a ratchet effect than it is a straight curve.
1: Yes. And the way I describe it is it's like a person with a yo-yo walking up a hill. And the yo yos going up and down and up and down. But because a person is walking up a hill, at some point, even when the yo-yo is at its lowest point, it's still higher than it was at its highest point further down the hill. And that's what we've seen with the U.S. stock market.
0: So if you don't invest, that makes you the yo-yo.
1: <laughs> yes. Don't be the yo-yo.
0: And just a point of historical question, what did people invest in before the TSP? Because the TSP is not quite as old as the 401k plan that it's part of.
1: Yeah. Well, the TSP really started, you know, with the G fund, which I think started in 1987.
0: What did federal employees have before any of that? They
1: didn't have a 401k. It was uh, CSRS, and they had this great annuity, and the government didn't feel the need nor should they have felt the need to offer them a 401k in addition. But then, you know, they wanted to switch to a less rich retirement package and give more responsibility to employees to plan for, you know, their own retirement security. So then they started a 401k plan. And that mirrored what was happening in the private sector, where there were a lot of companies that had great retirement packages, great pensions. Of course, the government calls the pension the annuity. But they got away from that because they could not afford it. It's a very expensive thing to do.
0: We're speaking with certified financial planner Art Stein. And getting back to 35 years of TSP, what about some of the other funds? There have been foreign stock funds and some of the others. How have they done Again, over the long haul.
1: Yeah. The I fund has not done as well as the U.S. stock funds, although there were certainly years when it outperformed. The small stock fund is the S fund, and it invests in most of the U.S. stock market that's not in the S&P 500. It has not done as well at this point as the C fund, but there are certainly periods of time when it did better than the C fund. So I urge my clients who are in the TSP to invest in both the S and the C fund and even the I fund because the I fund, uh, now foreign stocks that are in the I fund, actually are cheaper than the C and the S fund. And cheaper means that if you look at things like price earnings ratios, it's better for the stocks that are in the I fund. So presumably that would make the I Fund an excellent long-term performer.
0: And the S fund then sort of has the flavor of maybe a little more Silicon Valley, a little bit more startup companies that haven't made it to the big stock exchanges yet might be on the NASDAQ type of flavor.
1: Well, I wouldn't say that so much because the big companies that are in the NASDAQ or in the S&P 500. You know, you're talking about, you know, Amazon and Apple and things like that. You know, it could be like a major trucking company. It could be a manufacturing company. It could be a lot of different things. It could be a drug company. So, you know, hopefully they're going to do so well in the future that, you know, then they become large companies.
0: And because – Your advice has been frequently, don't try to pick stocks. That's why you're in these funds because you have professionals that have Mm -hmm. lots of input in order to tailor what those funds are made of to get the best return for the investors. What should people look at economically just to get a sense of what the funds might be doing in the future?
1: Extremely difficult to do, Tom, because, you know, the stock market and the U.S. economy do not move because of the same stimulus, And the stock market, and this is what makes it very difficult, is a leading indicator of what's going to happen to the economy. So it tends to go down before the economy goes down. And it tends to start going up when we're in a recession and things still look pretty bad. So there's no like obvious clue as to what the future performance is going to be. And you can see that because I mean, there's no one who has consistently predicted what's going to happen in the short term to stocks, and as a result, don't try and forecast. You know, you can look at 35 years worth and see that you know if I'm investing in the stock funds, I'm going to have some bad years. The number of calendar years where the C fund had a negative rate of return over the last 35 years there is seven years. So 20 percent of the time it declined and 80 percent of the time it had a positive rate of return. Well, those are pretty good odds. You know, you'd like those odds in Vegas, right? You'd like those odds at the track if you bet on horses. But people don't see that. What they see is, hey, it could crash. And when it does, what I'm going to read in the press is this could be permanent. You know, this could be the end and it's going to go on, that's when you need to be investing.
0: And much is made of the number that rises and falls of people that have at least a million dollars in their TSP accounts. And if you look at the numbers carefully, it's basically the longer you're around, the more likely you will be in that millionaire so-called club. If
1: you invest appropriately.
0: Yes, that's right. And if you look at the very small accounts, those are associated with younger people that haven't been in the government so long. So the eternal lesson is borne out. There's no magic to becoming a 700, 800,000 or million dollar TSP holder, except consistency, longevity, and keeping the nerve not to yank it out when things gyrate.
1: Yeah. And I have met several people who very long-term federal employees who, you know, basically kept their money in the G fund. And of course, they basically have what they started out with, with, you know, some small increase over time. And all of a sudden, they're doing their retirement planning. And they turn around to the TSP account. It's like not sufficient. It's not sufficient. Then of course, it's too late
0: but first people do have an annuity it's just not the same as the fers people so it's not their only plus they get social security
1: absolutely and and for the people who can live on social security and their annuity they don't have to worry about the tsp so much but the problem with that is that the annuity from the federal government for fers employees has a as you know a diet cola cost of living adjustment so anytime inflation's over 2% They are not fully compensated for inflation, and inflation in the United States is normally over 2%. So they're looking at a pension, an annuity, where the purchasing power is declining over time. And it means that they then have to fall back on the TSP to make up the difference.
0: So bottom line for 35 years then is?
1: Stocks look good.
0: Certified financial planner Art Stein, as always, thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Tom.
0: And we'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a uh, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And David, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Shane. It is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you.
2: It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration.
3: Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, as I was leaving the University of Wisconsin, where I oversaw the UW Colleges, I accepted. The presidency at Morgan, and on my way into the presidency at Morgan in 2010, my name was advanced to President Obama to be considered as a member of his Board of Advisors on historically black colleges and universities, and so I accepted and served there for eight years during his two terms. Amazing.
2: You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the
3: biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was a great 19th century educator who really gave rise to public education in the United States. And he was the first to utter the phrase that education is the great equalizer. And why that resonated with me was because I grew up in.
2: Influenced your leadership position now as president of Morgan State it, it had to have had an impact, but how would you articulate that?
3: So if you go back to that Alabama environment, what I saw it was just so many people my own brothers and sisters who were ten times smarter than I was, but my first five brothers were illiterate, they never got an opportunity to show because these two were very serious. And my family is brutally honest with me, and they keep me grounded. So I flew down and began to talk with them about these institutions that were coming after me. I was thinking they would be impressed. And when I finished, my youngest sister said to me, Now, are you finished? Clearly, we are not understanding why you would even consider leaving Morgan. It just reassured me uh, that I'm living my purpose at Morgan. And it is joyful uh, to be at a place where you want to be versus being at a place where others think you should be. One question that I
2: always have to ask, is there one leader or maybe a couple of leaders that have inspired you, that have